Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay. And welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, The Mask of Zorro, the swashbuckler film based on the character of the masked vigilante Zorro. It was directed by Martin Campbell and stars Antonio Banderas, Anthony Hopkins, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Stuart Wilson. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Zorro, is this a character, Jay, that you grew up watching or was this your introduction to him? No, I'd, uh, I'd not read him in anything, but I'm pretty sure I'd at least picked up on the character through pop culture of the time um, in the 80s, uh, maybe even on uh, certain cartoons, whether it be uh, Scooby-Doo or some other Hanna-Barbera ca- um, cartoon, I'm sure, had brought him up, or even some of the, the Looney Tunes stuff from Warner Brothers. But I had somehow picked up on him. And a lot of the other things that I didn't necessarily watch as a child, like uh, of the same ilk, um, The Lone Ranger and um, The Spirit and uh, The Shadow and those types of pulp characters. And Zorro somehow entered into my mind like that. But other, the specifics of him, I wasn't familiar with until I watched this film. How about yourself? Yeah, this was my first real introduction. Although, like you, over the years, I'd seen the character and maybe bits of the old movies or serials and, you know, always remembered him cutting the Z into the clothing or whatever, like leaving his marker. So I knew him for that. And then, you know, years later, we've got Antonio Banderas as Puss in Boots in Shrek. And he was essentially playing the same character as a cat. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I was familiar, but I remember like watching this movie in 1988 and it just blew me away. And I'm not somebody that grew up watching spaghetti westerns. Like, I've never been into westerns. It's why I've always been so disappointed. Back to the Future Part 3. Yeah. It's still a fine movie, but I was disappointed that it ended with a Western. I've since changed, and there's movies that I've watched, you know, things like The Hateful Eight, and there's other examples. But this this film, like, just re-watching it for the podcast, like, I was looking forward to it, and it just, it didn't disappoint. Banderas is phenomenal in this part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh... My dad is big on westerns, um, always has been, and I remember being not forced to watch, but definitely subjected to Clint Eastwood movies and the like throughout my childhood. Um, so even if I didn't, some of them I enjoyed, some of them I didn't, but um, this movie, when it came out, I think I watched mainly because I had seen Antonio Banderas in Desperado and uh assassins just before that i'm like oh this guy this is interesting and just the adventure feel um i I already had a love of indiana jones and this from the trailer i could tell this was of that ilk and it did not disappoint it is exactly that same sort of at high adventure like like uh thrills and spills but with 
so much heart. That's, that's the big. That's the, I think it's the big thing. I found that movies like this, um, this, The Shadow, The Phantom, the Mummy films with Brendan Fraser and Indiana Jones in the late '80s and all through the '90s, they did a, a number of these types of films set not in a dissimilar era, and they all worked. The Rocketeer falls into this for me as well, but they all have this great this great heart to them and they just work for some, whatever reason. And for, generally speaking, they all date really well. And then from the two thousands up until Marvel movies, really, they stopped being able to make them. And it always disappoints me because of what I grew up on movies like this. I always went to see them in cinema and then was always disappointed because I was holding them up to stuff like this and watching it again for the podcast, man, I enjoy this movie. It is so good. It's it's a lot of fun. And those other movies that you name-checked, The Rocketeer, The Phantom, we recently did The Shadow. And it's why we're talking about The Mask of Zorro, because we were talking about other movies we liked similar to The Shadow. And this, this movie came up. Now, I did a little bit of uh, digging just to find out. So we've seen the movie, but what... Yeah. What got us there? Like, how did this start? And it actually started with Steven Spielberg, who was at one time going to direct, instead stayed on as a producer. But I did read when he was to direct, they were looking at Tom Cruise as Zorro. (laughs) I mean, today's climate, that's incredibly problematic. (laughs) You can't have... Tom Cruise as Zorro. No, and even I laugh because Tom Cruise was attached to any large property, especially comic book properties in the 90s. I mean, that's true. He was even Iron Man. Yeah, Iron Man, which I do think when they'll they'll initially putting that together, it might have worked. Um, But, you know, he was attached to Superman. Um, before Nicolas Cage, oh, when it was was McG, yeah. and he was attached to replace um, Michael Keaton as Batman at one point, and he was all every single franchise you can think of with that needed a main lead in that kind of role throughout all of the '90s and the 2000s. It was always Tom Cruise. They always put him there, and it's just like because he is box office draw. Say what you will about your personal feelings on him as a person. But when it comes to films, he is a box office draw. And but it just makes me laugh, especially with the mask of Zorro giving the basis of the character. He it's set in Mexico. The main character is Mexican. It it just doesn't work. I don't know. Like, like I said, yeah, in this yeah, current no, it, climate, it, yes. It, it's it a no brainer. It wouldn't work. Um I mean, okay, let, let's let's I mean, I will go into more into the the history but we're we're talking about okay so we've got the original Zorro which I I always liked this movie for you know passing the torch like we're getting a new Zorro but if we're looking at the first Zorro in this and his daughter they are the actors are Welsh yeah you know I mean they're playing Spaniards but they're actually Welsh even the yeah. main bad guy is British. Yeah. But at least yeah, I Antonio Banderas that. 
His character who he plays is actually Mexican and Banderas is Spanish. Yeah. But still, it's a lot closer than Welsh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is strange. Um, the only little thing you can get away with other than the fact that Anthony Hopkins is Anthony Hopkins and he does a phenomenal job. He really is does. Because of as of the era, this was still when uh, Spain was it had a royal court. It still had it was a, a king and queen and all of that stuff. And he was someone of renown of Sp- of Spanish heritage and a gentleman and a nobleman who was you know stationed in Mexico. And for that, you can go european you maybe you can get away with like you know something like those those uh, northern spanish less so than the southern spanish who are more tan you're like i I get away you might be able to get away with it for for the movie when it was made and even watching it today it really does hold up and it works for me but with what's happening we don't need to get into but what's happening you know people dropping out of projects and anyway this movie though uh, so yes. Spielberg, now um, a producer, they were looking at other directors. One of those directors was Robert Rodriguez. And you mentioned uh, Desperado already. Yes. Of course, starring Antonio Banderas. And it was Rodriguez that brought Banderas aboard the project. No, well, that, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. He also wanted Salma Hayek in this movie. She didn't get cast, of course. We got Catherine Zeta-Jones instead. Um, oh, Sean Connery. He was originally looked at, and we've seen him play a Spaniard before, and he made no effort <laughs> not to sound Scottish. We've all seen Highlander. Yeah. But originally, they, yeah, they actually wanted Sean Connery for Don Diego de la Vega, mm. the original Zorro. Fortunately, but everybody, they went with Hopkins, who is great yeah. in this film. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, again, again, the '90s. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a time we didn't. It didn't, it didn't even cross most people's minds when they would, would make these sort of decisions, especially like, like, the most Scottish person on the planet uh, at the time. Yeah, it just cast him as a Spaniard. It, we the did hunt, it once already. Why the not? Hunt from October. <laughs> like, wasn't he Russian in that movie? Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to yep. be. But again, so you're going to do an accent? No. Okay. Just be Sean Connery then. Um, okay. The film was released in the United States July 17th, 1998, to critical and commercial success. It grossed $250 million on a $95 million budget. Now, that is a hit. Uh, The Legend of Zorro, a sequel also starring Banderas and Zeta-Jones and directed by Martin Campbell, was released in 2005 but did not fare as well as its predecessor. And that's it. We've got two movies. Um, It's been a while since I've seen Legend of Zorro. I do want to go back, but I wanted to get this review out of the way first before doing a revisit. But what I've been having difficulty tracking down is the Legend of Zorro? It's not even available on iTunes. Yeah, and that's it's where, weird. And that's where I got a hold of the Mask of Zorro. I tried to pick it up on DVD, Blu-ray, 
nobody had it. JB Hi-Fi, nobody. But in a second-hand shop, I did find a copy of Legend of Zorro. I'm contemplating going back and buying it. It's a double pack with Take the Lead, <laughs> the Banderas <laughs> movie where he's a dance teacher. I might... Yeah. I really want to see Legend. If it's the only way I can watch it, I'll get that double bill. Yeah, because um, I do remember watching Legend of Zorro quite recently, only a few years back, having never watched it. Um, and I was amazed that one, it was eight years, it was released eight years nearly after The Mask of Zorro, which is why I don't think it performs as well. It just took too long to get put yeah. together to capitalize off the success of the first one. But you would be amazed at how well it meshes, like the feel and everything's still there. It just movies at the time had moved on; they had started to get grittier and and stuff. I mean, I think it was a year later that we had Batman Begins hit cinemas. It was just it just fit, oh, it, it came was out of the wrong era. The same year, two thousand five. Yeah. The same year, which. That was just where the palette of the audience was at the time, um, but you could it, you could you could feel it was the same people who made it. Like they didn't miss a beat. The, the all of the um, elements are there. It's just unfortunately it came out at the wrong time. It's still a lot of fun, um, but they do have a child, and that can also throw off the dynamic for, for right. Okay, I mean we get the baby at the end of this movie. So yeah, I guess it's going to be what eight years old, maybe seven, eight. In yeah. the sequel. Yeah. It's like yeah. the mummy sequels when they've got a kid and you're like, oh, oh this the, kid. The third one when he's grown up. Yeah. We will yeah, get to them, to. by the way. I think we mentioned we it last will. time. The first <laughs> one, at least, we'll definitely go and do the first one. And the one Netflix yep. as well. Easy to track down. Our next movie after this, Hulk, the 2003 Ang Lee film, is on Netflix. Yes, it is. And that is where I watched it, or will watch it at least. Yeah, this movie, this movie's great. Um, if did you get any history on the character himself and his origins in terms of comic books? Not in terms of comic books. No, like later on, before we wrap up, I'm going to touch on the Dynamite Entertainment comic run, uh, but not specifically the cam- the character, but not specifically the character. I was focusing more so on this film. Did you get any prep on him as a character? No, no, unfortunately. But all I know is like a, a strange number of characters of this type. I believe it's an Italian comic book character um, from the serialization of which they still produce them today. Uh, I know there is at least one other very, very, very similar character um, that famously Mike Diodato wanted to do a comic book of in the last few years. And had a bit approached the company and wanted to do it. They wanted him to. He wanted wanted him to write and draw it and give it to him after a year. But they, they came nowhere close to matching his fee for that amount of work, and the whole deal fell apart. And he chronicled it online. But the fact that both of these characters, Spanish-based characters, came out of Italy, I'm like, I'm not, is that because it, Spain doesn't have a comic book? company or industry of its own possibly but i just found find that really interesting that characters of this type these pulp like characters come out of italy and still do this to this day um but yeah uh i'm not sure uh, like 
did and I don't know if Lone Ranger came first and his horse Silver or if it was Zorro. I suspect Zorro came first and the I'd Americans took him off. Yes, that's what I'd say. Okay, so we'll we'll look at sticking primarily to the mask of Zorro then. So before I get to the plot, I think we need to mention the Batman connection. Yeah. I mean, we, it's pretty obvious Bob Kane was influenced by Zorro. And even if you look at the many origins of Batman we've seen in the comics or on screen, he's just been to watch Zorro at the cinema. Yeah. That's always the thing. He's been watching Zorro serials or films. It's a character that has inspired him. So it's it's a character, again, like even without watching Zorro, this, the character is just out there without actively seeking out his individual projects. It looms large in Batman lore. Yeah, and it, a lot of those elements carry over into Batman. They both wear all black, or at least the modern incarnations of Batman. Um, they both have a cave underneath their mansion, uh, which is their like lair. Um, they both fight for injustice. They both use uh, a traversal system that goes can go from rooftop to rooftop. Yeah, they all they fit in a very similar category, and they like you, as you can as you said they you know the it's always been part of Batman history that he was inspired by Zorro. Uh, always in been fiction. There. Yeah, and in this. Um... Well, and in the comics and the books and everything else, Zorro has a butler. And the interesting thing here is Hopkins plays the butler. Yeah. Who was the name of the butler from the novels, I believe. And, of course, Batman had Alfred. So the connections are very much there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And what I do know is the... uh, Zorro that was originally Anthony Hopkins, Diego de la Vega, is the original character name from the comics. Although in the comics it was just Diego Vega, it wasn't as as lovely and poetic sounding as Don de la Vega as it is um, in the film. But that's that's just an uh, like an update that had been made from Inception to the '90s of that name becoming more more traditional Spanish or Mexican Spanish than what it was initially. And then, of course, we had Banderas as the successor, Alexandro Murrieta. Yep. Um, and for the movie, they do a phenomenal job where essentially uh, Anthony Hopkins is the straight man and the serious dramatic lead and Antonio Banderas is the comedy lead because he, yeah and he he does the slapstick really well he does the whole going to jump on the horse the horse moves he's doing a lot of a lot of good things here i need to do the plot jay let me let me do the plot yep. and then we can then we can continue on the film features the original zorro don diego de la vega played by hopkins escaping from prison to find his long lost daughter played by zeta jones and avenge the death of his wife at the hands of the corrupt governor, Rafael Montiero, played by Wilson. He is aided by his successor, Banderas, who is pursuing his own vendetta against the governor's right-hand man while falling in love with Dilla Vega's daughter. Yeah. 
in a nutshell. And the movie does a really great job of uh, establishing your timeline. Opens 1821 in Mexico. Um, and then we know that the rest of the movie takes place in 1841 because after you get the initial uh, re- basically retirement of Diego de la Vega, who uh, gets captured uh, and his wife killed and his daughter taken by Rafael Montero. 20 years later and they come back. They've been out of Mexico for 20 years. You have an exact timeline. So we know it's 1841. Um, I'm not familiar with American and Mexican history, but I was paying very close attention to the details of the plot for this film that I had never previously paid attention to. And they are really well thought out. There are zero plot holes. Um, Really well done. I'd like to actually later on check out how this lines up with the traditional history that it's based right, on. Okay. Yeah, he definitely looks to be well-researched. And even in the costumes, the two Zorro costumes that we get, because we do get two versions of that. We'll get to that later. But there is, yes, such an attention to detail in this movie. So this was directed by Martin Campbell. You may know yep. him as the director of Green Lantern. Don't hold that against him, though. Because we can go further back. He directed the James Bond thriller GoldenEye, the first Pierce Brosnan movie in 1995. But he turned down the chance to direct his immediate sequel, Tomorrow Never Dies, to make this movie. And I'm very glad that he did. Uh, Campbell did eventually go on uh, to direct another Bond movie with Casino Royale in 2006. Which is actually my favourite Bond movie. <laughs> it's solid. Like GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Honestly, when they announced it for Green Lantern, because of this movie, because of the two Bond movies, I was very excited. And then when you look at the credits for Green Lantern and there's about six writers, you're oh, okay. <laughs> this is obviously yeah. a problematic production, but Campbell on this movie, yeah, like he's he knocks it out of the park. Yeah, he does. Um and you can tell it's actually a shame because I think he's I think he's still in movie jail from Greenland, which was not his fault. There was a lot of studio interference, and like you said, uh, six writers at least credited. I'm sure there was double that in terms point. of uncredited. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when you look at his run, it, it seems like a no-brainer. Like one, he turned down a very high paying, high, uh, highly sought after gig with the Bond sequel, which he had established as a, a big franchise again, after it had sort of waned in the years since with your Roger Moores and your Timothy Daltons and stuff, he established Pierce Brosnan. Everyone was like, Oh, it's a, it's a no brainer bond. And he turned it down for this it was essentially a passion project. And yeah, I mean, again, like budget of ninety-five million. Like, so this is not a James Bond movie, like a movie on that scale. So, yes, it would be working for less. So, it being a passion project does make sense. Yeah, uh, and that also translates to how good the movie is because there's so much care in so many scenes, um, and the actors 
like there's a during the the training montage with uh, Diego de la Vega teaching Alejandro. There's genuine joy in the eyes of Antonio Banderas the yes. whole time. Like he he does not want to be anywhere else. He could not possibly want to be anywhere else. He's having such a good time. Honestly, and for it me, comes across on screen. Yeah, he is the star of this film. I know he is Zorro or a Zorro, the second one, but he it's for me. This is his film, and unfortunately, recent years you don't really see him doing enough because he's fantastic and he really commits to this part. That again, when doing prep for this, I was I found. How much he actually got paid for the role? Keep in mind, he was an up-and-coming actor. He'd done Desperado, but he'd not done massive projects. So yeah. he earned $5 million for this film. Yeah. Which just blew my mind because, like, you know, again, you see him as being the star, but it just seems so low. Like, if they were look at the time in 98, if they were serious about Tom Cruise, what are we talking? $20 million. I mean, he's not doing. Uh, yeah. He's not doing it for five. But you're right. Like he is so committed to this part. I mean, he was extremely adamant about performing many of his own stunts because he wanted it to appear authentic, and that's why the camera can whiz left, right, up, down, and it's more often than not like you can see it's Banderas. Like he is doing those stunts. I mean, he trained with sword trainer Bob Anderson who trained Errol Flynn. Yeah. And and, yeah. It, and it shows. I mean, Anderson remarked that Banderas was the most gifted swordsman with who he had worked with since Flynn. Yeah, and this isn't the only... Uh, these aren't the only movies, I should say, both Sorrows, that he did excessive sword work in. He also did a bunch of sword work in, I think it was 13th Warrior? that he worked yeah, on that's another one. also yeah. in the 2000s because I guess after you put in that amount of work, it seems like a shame to let it go to waste. Um, but yeah, in this um, really great fight choreography, um, all of the scenes and they always, it's always earned it, the scenes, not just there because oh, things are getting a bit slow, quick throwing a fight scene uh, or an action scene. The scenes are there, and it's perfectly choreographed with the right level of seriousness, with joy and comedy. Because yeah. even you know you're watching him get more competent throughout the film, but there's still even at his most competent, just a little bit of slapstick from time to time, which is part of the charm of his character. Diego de la Vega is all charm and seriousness and competence. But Alejandro is learning competency, and you're you're watching the progression over the film, and that's why I think they make they bounce off each other so well, because even even when they have like a little scuffle, as the, as as his character arc goes from you know initial he's down in the dumps because his brother's been killed, to I want revenge, to all right, I will, because you're Zorro, I will definitely learn from you and take, let you take the lead on this to, wait, 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 the, there are people at trouble. What about your revenge? Yeah, yeah, I'll get my revenge, but 
there are people he he goes from being having selfless sorry selfish motivations to selfless by the end of the movie and it's completely believable because it's earned all the way and his character his character base character doesn't change it just evolves and you get that with him and Diego de la Vega both both of them it's all earned and yeah. it's all perfectly captured it's all perfectly choreographed the sh- lighting is perfect the screening is perfect the costumes are perfect it there's I can say nothing bad about your two leads or your all your three the villain's great um who I think we should move to Stuart Wilson as Rafael Montero is so good um I'm not familiar with him from much else or anything else if to be honest, off the top of my head. I'm the same. But... He, yeah, he is solid in this. So we will continue, but I just want to just throw it back to the Zorros for a moment. Like something, like a trait that is featured in this movie that is what Sh- uh, Zorro is known for. When in combat, he smiles. Like that's the yeah. thing, like especially when he's, you know, he's dueling, like he'll always have his smile. And, that, and both actors portray that perfectly. So you've got the mask, his cutting Z's, but Zorro always smiles. Like I say, he's a, he's a charmer and he makes it appear fun. And, um, and that definitely lends itself to the comedy with Banderas. But yes, Stuart Wilson. Uh, I mentioned yeah. before a British actor, so no doubt at some point he's been on the bill, Coronation Street maybe, I don't know, one of the soaps. <laughs> it's usually the way. Uh, but yeah, yeah. He, he's completely uh, believable in this part. And he plays it very well. And then just the wrinkle to his character, he brings up Elena as his own daughter, which is really sticking the knife in to De La Vega. But he was in love with Zorro's wife. And that was a whole thing. Elena didn't want any harm to come to her. So he's not just a black and white villain. Like, and even bringing up Elena as his own, like, that's him just having a connection to his lost love, although they never actually had a relationship. So I like the fact that he's not a cartoon villain. No, no, um, yeah, Esperanza, uh, Zorro's wife. And that also plays into the plot. It, it's how much he cares for her, what he wants from her, what he expects out of her. Um, his protection of her. This isn't a trophy he covets, even if that was his original motivation or a large portion of it. Um, and even uh, other things like shared, you know, the best villains generally mirror the hero in some way, um, but show off where, where the hero might have gone or might go if they weren't the hero. And they're both men of the Spanish court. Um, both you know sent along the same lines but one compassionate and one not um and it works well like even going down to he won't look they have little lines that help teach you who the person is like how to charm him he's not stupid and he's not he isn't easily fooled but he never spots anthony hopkins even when he's right in front of him as his arch nemesis zorro because he refuses, he's as a gentleman, he doesn't acknowledge help or look them in the eye. So there he is, stood right in front of him, doesn't see him because he's in a served in role and he'd never expect to see his villain, his, 
his nemesis in such a role. It's, it's really great writing and it adds depth and complexity to his character um, who is, you know, he's been thrown out of the Spanish court for his failure in Mexico and he kind of wants to win it back by winning back what he lost, California, <laughs> uh, which is all part of the plot, a well-thought-out, well-executed plot over a long period for him. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it works really well. Um, but he's only... Oh, he's, he's the main villain for both, but most specifically the older Zorro, Diego de la Vega, the, the, the direct nemesis for... Antonio Banderas is Captain Harrison Love, played by Matt Letcher, who, whew, man, he is a he's a good villain. <laughs> you instantly good, hate honestly, him. He, yeah, he is fantastic in this. But I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, why do you look familiar? And I had to cheat. I looked him up on IMDb. So I'm like, there's something that I actively watch now that I know you from, but I could not think or what it was from yeah he and is where is he from? eobod thorn reverse flash on the flash and legends of tomorrow holy oh, crap he is blew oh, my he mind is. Found that, out. that is who it is i mean he's a great villain in this and he's a great villain in that but i'm looking at him thinking and i know he's got longer hair and a beard and he's like 20 years younger or whatever i'm like you look really familiar and that's and that's where i know him from but yeah he is really really good at this i yeah, think you could probably love, say that about everybody really <laughs> yeah um and you know he's a traditional uh of the time american serviceman he looks the part he's got the kind of strawberry blonde hair kind of a ginger quality to it um but the cut of it his cleanness but his, his cold calculation, but then he's also a, enough of a psychopath, or I won't even say enough, he's a psychopath, which helps push him to the irredeemable side. You're like, this, there's, you, you, there's no redemption for this character. And you, the whole movie, you know, uh, Alejandro uh, Antonio Banderas is standing right across from him, having a smile and make nice and making cheap shots at the, his character with using uh, sarcasm and jokes when all he wants to do is stuff a blade in his throat. Yeah. And you'll, and the whole time you're there, like, please kill this guy. Please kill this guy. Please kill this guy. I mean, we get that great visual and quip. We've got LQ Jones as three fingered Jack. Yeah. And then he makes that remark. He goes, huh, that's the second time I've shot him whilst flying through the air or along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a good moment. And it is true. Yeah. Because, he is genuinely like, huh, how odd. Um, but, and then he's using is it South American uh, tribal ideas of cons- taking the strength of, by you, having them like pickled in wine or something that he drinks, like his head, the head right, that, of yes. Alejandro, uh, Alejandro's brother, Joaquin. Um, uh, and the hand of Three Finger Jack, um, because he suspects Antonio Banderas is not, he's, you know, taken on a new identity to infiltrate the cir- inner circle and the, the villainous game. And he suspects he's the brother he's looking for. 
but he can't get him to trip up. He has no nothing to base it on, and he's already won over Captain Love's boss. And he's like, oh, and he thinks this is going to be enough. He can't trip him up because the long term goal is more important. And that's just the the, the how well written these these scenes are. They're full attention where you feel like this is all going to go sideways very quickly. And you're championing them both, but they're well acted, they're well staged. This the script, I, as I said, there's there's nothing, nothing here to, to to pull threads at. It is really tight, really well put together. Um, yeah, just really, and it's of course he's reverse Flash. He's just a really good villain. <laughs> That's, yeah, I mean, he he does it uh, very well. You know, we should probably talk about Catherine Zeta Jones as Elena some more. I don't feel as though we've given due credit. You know, we did our episode all about The Phantom, which was just two years earlier. And she was good in that. But in that one, she was a baddie. She's a goodie in this one. And I really like her in this. And I think before I did the rewatch, the most memorable scene, it's the barn where Elena and Zorro are cutting pieces of clothing off each other. And it's a really fun scene and works just as well now is it did all those years ago. And I was reading into like how they actually did it because her like the top half of her clothes anyway, end up completely being removed. She's cutting away um, as they're interacting and they had a, a outfit on strings. And that's uh, how they did it. So as Banderas was cutting away with his sword, they had someone in the background on strings, pulley strings, removing her clothes but it's a really <laughs> it's a really fun scene and you know interviews with her she's spoken about how she really enjoyed filming those scenes to the point where she found it quite arousing so there you yeah. go <laughs> so you can um, see i mean the, the chemistry is obvious like between these two yeah and when you're absolutely. reading things like that it just cements what you can see in the movie yourself yeah and her character is she's not a wallflower i mean she's not in danger she's not she's not held against her will she's not a prisoner or anything and she's as competent with the sword as anyone else in this film you know like her adopted father uh, don Raphael, really went out of his way to make sure she could protect herself and has been brought up correctly um she, and one of my favorite scenes with them, uh, the barn site scene being easily the most recognizable, is actually when they're in the confession booth later on. Right. And yeah. she, <laughs> it's so well written on both their parts of her genuinely like uh, wanting, seeking advice from a priest and him just hiding out there and initially like, uh, like writing off this person like, Three days? Why are you? Why are you bothering me this? And then when he realizes who it is, he starts to pay attention. And he's, but he's still a little bit frustrated, and he's still himself. So he makes off these little remarks, and then he goes uber serious again, like, "My, my child, continue." Um, but uh, he he uses the things to find out is she attracted to him. <laughs> um, but it's really done really well. Again, the chemistry's there. It's done with the right level of care and but it's still humorous and really enjoyable uh and you know it's got to be brought up she is stunning 
in this film in every single frame. She no is. doubt. No doubt. Yeah, she's, yeah, like across the board, she is fantastic in this, whether it's, you know, performance, uh, the look of the character and everything. Yeah, like she's, yeah, fantastic in this. Um, I touched on the costumes a little bit earlier. There is distinct differences between uh, the two Zoros, and the main change they made is they wanted um, for De La Vega to show off his Spanish heritage, but then when Alexandro takes over the role, they're using influences from Mexico, and that's why he's got like, the added detail, like the gold stitching on the top of his hat. So yeah. I like the fact that at face value, you look at it, oh, they both look like Zorro, but closer inspection, I like the fact that they went to the effort of giving them enough differences that upon closer inspection, you can see that they are different. Yeah, and one of the little things I noticed whilst watching is the first time he cobbles together a costume for Zorro, uh, not the one he ends up with at the end of the movie, but uh, kind of his, we'll say, year one-esque look that um, he gets made fun of or, or berated for when he gets later gets back. When, he's, uh, is, when he first runs into what will become his horse, the um, black Andalusian that's running right through the marketplace, he walks over and calms it down. Um, it has a bandana on its leg that he takes off before it leaves before the soldiers take it away. That's what he cuts the eye holes in and wears for his first encounter with Catherine Zeta-Jones when he goes to steal the horse later that night. And I'm like, oh, that's a nice little detail. Yeah, it's really cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, he doesn't keep it for the rest of the movie because it gets whipped off his face by Anthony Hopkins. But it was, yeah, it was just a nice little detail that I I picked up on that I'd never noticed before. Um, But yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, and all the characters are again one of the things like they go into like they're buying California from Mexico because they're in the middle of a war that is expensive and they don't and they don't think uh, California is worth anything because they hadn't found the gold so they're using California gold with Spanish stamping to buy California essentially legally even though <laughs> it's illegal to use their own resources to buy the thing you're purchasing. It's like, you know, stealing, it's like stealing money out of an ATM to pay back a loan to your bank. Uh, but it's really, you know, even how he has a foothold, Mexico is the Mexican government is taking hold of California because they're driving out the Spanish. So he hands out Spanish lands to people he knows he can trust because the Spanish, the Mexican government won't take that land off Mexicans because they know they can derive tax from people who are already well off rather than waiting years for that to naturally develop. I'm like, Ooh, that's a smart economic detail that they put into the script. And that's how he gets a foothold later on because that is still essentially his land. It's just, you know, Mexicans land on paper. Um, Yeah. Just, just smart. I also want to get to the music on this movie. That I know you also like to speak about. Yeah, and always. <laughs> what a phenomenal soundtrack. The oh, theme, it's beautiful. especially. 
Yes. Uh, and who, uh, who else could it be but James Horner? Um, we don't. He's he's one of the, I guess, four greats. He's obviously John Williams and Hans Zimmer, but then you've got Danny Elfman was especially prolific Ooh, at this time. Yes, I was also thinking the, Jerry Goldsmith. He's up there as well. Yeah, uh, and James Horner. These guys, those I guess those five. You know, if any, if you know note any soundtrack basically from the late seventies through to basically now, I odds still, are it was one of those yeah. five. <laughs> and Horner, yeah, still going. But I had, I had a quick look. You know, okay, so what has he done? What are the big ones that people would know? We've got Titanic, Braveheart, Legends of the Fall, of course, The Mask of Zorro. Apollo 13, there's another one that I want to add, and it's a film that I rewatched last night with my wife, her first time watching it, Commando. Oh. It came out in 1985. That's James Horner. And again, we're praising the guy and we'll continue to do so. Commando is not his best. No. <laughs> very muddled. But anyway, that was a, an action film we are from 85. But yeah, Horner. Yeah has done so much. Oh, Avatar. Yeah, he did, he did Avatar as well. Yeah. Like, he could just keep going. Like, Yeah, he is, you're right. He's one of the greats. Yeah, and um, and this soundtrack never disappoints. Like, the the theme's instantly recognisable as the theme. It uh, it fits in everywhere they put it. And when it starts, it's, you know, you're into a Zorro uh, set piece because it's instantly there. And it even... It's all it's all even recognizable as it changes from uh Alejandro to Diego. Like it's just like in tem- terms of timbre, um it works really well with the romantic scenes. Um like the and there's ah oh, I've nothing but praise for this film. It's so well done on every single level. And okay, then let me ask you, right? <laughs> I'm gonna ask you this. What do you think to the pop song at the end? I mean, keep this was the 90s. It's what they did. They wanted a pop song and they wanted to feature clips from the movie in the music video. And this film was no different. We had Latin heartthrob, Mark Anthony, and yep. Australian singer, Tina Arena. Yeah. Yeah, when the credits <laughs> started rolling, yeah. I'm like, huh. Huh. So the name, the okay. name of their song, "I Want to Spend My Lifetime Loving You." It yeah. was released um, as a single in Europe. The song went to number three on the French singles and number four on the Dutch singles chart. So there you go. So this this movie did close with a pop song, and I like the Australian connection there. You know, we didn't mention it for The Shadow, and I'm blanking on who it was. I shared it on our Facebook page. But The Shadow also had a pop song for the end credits. Yeah. It was yeah, the just, thing to do. Yeah, because that's, uh, that's what they did for Batman Forever. It was you too. Uh, Hold me, they... thrill me, kill me, or... Yeah, kiss oh, me, no, kill no. me. That, you know, yeah, it's... Complicated. It's like, yeah. you know, they had Seal, Kiss from a Rose. That was their big one from Batman yeah, Forever. Uh, but this, yeah, this was, a, uh, this was a big soundtrack. But oh, it was that's the right. You two was Batman and Robin. Is that what you said? And I just thought, so Batman Forever was Seal. You two were Batman and Robin. 
oh yeah that's that sounds right but it was a done thing it's fine uh it's not i can't imagine i can't say that i had remembered the pop song before i did the rewatch <laughs> no me, me neither and i i shall yeah, be sharing I, it on social media <laughs> yeah but i do remember them here in australia it being on video hits and then pushing it fairly hard because it was tina arena um but it's fine it's not bad it doesn't it doesn't detract from the movie in any way because you know it is written as you know using a, a spanish uh male voice for it as well for the because it's it is a pop song, but it's still a pop ballad. Yeah. Hey, you know, it, it works. Yeah. And it, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Well, yeah, it's okay. A- Before we get to the rating then, um, I said I was going to talk a little bit like the comics and keeping it specific to Dynamite Entertainment. So they relaunched the character with a 20-issue Zorro series, which ran from 2008 to 2010, written by Matt Wagner and drawn by multiple artists. Zorro, here a 1930s descendant, also appears in the 2013 Dynamite eight-issue limited series Masks alongside the Green Horn and Kato, the Shadow and the Spider. It was written by Chris Robertson with art by Alex Ross and Dennis Calero. Yeah. So I've heard of that. Series. Yeah, and I've never actually read it, but you know the fact that we were inspired to talk about the Mask of Zorro because of the other pulp heroes we've already reviewed. I thought it worth mentioning. Uh, another interesting one: Dynamite Entertainment also published a seven-issue series titled Django Zorro between November two thousand fourteen and May two thousand fifteen teaming Zorro with the character Django Freeman from Quentin Tarantino's movie Django Unchained. The series was co-written by Tarantino and Matt Wagner. This I do remember. And what I do remember specifically about this was this wasn't like some weird Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> let's just write a comic book. Like who have you, who wants to write a comic book with me about my Django character? This was actually seriously in consideration for a film. Wow. Django Unchained with Zorro. I'm not sure if at the time they were thinking of uh, getting back at Antonio Banderas, but Quentin Tarantino was seriously considering doing a a Django Zorro film. That would be insane. And you know what? If, yeah, you'd have to bring back Banderas. Surely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only... The only thing that really shot the whole thing down is it was also while he was working on this comic book, I think he kind of solidified in his head. He had a a certain number of movies he wanted to direct. And if he didn't want to take up one of those for the sequel. Well, you know, he he does get a bit free and loose though, because he does classify Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 as one movie. Yeah. But I distinctly remember on two separate occasions buying two cinema tickets for two separate films. But he's sticking <laughs> by the fact that he's making a certain number of films. Okay. But again, like he's been creative in the past. So yeah. maybe he could have counted Zorro and Django as 0.5 of a movie. I don't know. Yeah. But it would have been interesting to see Jamie Foxx and Antonio Banderas together in a film. But there we go. I just wanted to touch on the comics a little bit. You know, this is a comic book podcast. 
after all. Okay with yep. there, Jay. I think I know what your rating is going to be, at least your number. I think most people listening know where you're going with this. But what would you give this movie out of five? I I think I'd actually give this a five out of five. Um, it's It's high. I'm even surprised myself, but I don't see a single flaw in this film. It's it was fun when I saw it in 98. It was fun when I did a rewatch years later. It was fun when I did a rewatch this week for this podcast. I, I love everything about this movie. I love the cast. I love the setting. I love the music. It is phenomenal. And I think this is one of those, uh, those types of movies like the Indiana Jones films that will always put a smile on my face. If it's, especially if it's a rainy weekend, like a a Sunday, like just after lunch. Perfect absolutely perfect and you can watch it with kids it is there's nothing there to like it's nothing no no excessive cursing or anything like that nothing overly sexual it is a family friendly fun adventure film it is i mean it's a pg yep i'm the same jay i'm yeah, it's higher than I thought because it had been a while since I watched it. It's a movie I've always enjoyed. I remember first buying this on VHS back in the 90s and I've always yeah. had a good time with this movie. But before the rewatch, because you always have an idea from a memory, you kind of know where a movie sits, especially if you're looking at, you know, ranging, you know, one to five. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, you know, this is probably from memory a really good four, maybe even a 4.5, but no, this is a five. There yeah. is nothing. There's nothing that I can take away. Like I enjoy. No. There's nothing I'd change. Like this is a perfect movie. Absolutely love it. The cast is phenomenal. The direction, the score. You can see how much of himself, Banderas, has put into the performance. Like he is solid in this film. He's great. So wow. Yeah. The two of us. Five. Out of five. Well, that's it for our episode all about The Mask of Zorro. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.